Episode six of Glass of Joe is a go. I'm PJ Glasser, joined as always by my good friend and co-host Joe Malfa. Joe, we have officially reached the month of July. Did you ever think we'd get here in 2020? I mean, I knew we'd get there and we're here. We kind of limped here and I don't know what the rest of the year is going to look like, but the whole thing that's been going around Twitter is it's, it's second half, half right? It's <laughs> half-time. We, need that, we need that second half comeback. Uh, People have been I've talking seen, about who would you want to give that halftime pep talk and people right. talking like Herm Edwards and, and stuff like that. So we need somebody to give us a good halftime pep talk. We need some, we need some Bill Belichick halftime adjustments. I've uh, seen and, a lot of Tua tweets that we got to put Tua in here in the second <laughs> half like they did in the uh, Georgia game. But Jalen well, Hurts, Jalen Jalen, Hurts we, we've been hurting in the we first have, months, We have, so we have. That's exactly Tua. right. So hopefully, you know, we're all hoping second half year 2020 we can turn it around. Somebody whose 2020 got better, though, this past week definitely was Cam Newton, who signed a one-year Finally deal. Finally, some big non-COVID-related sports news. Seriously, well. yeah. Cam got signed by New England. A lot of people were figuring this would be the landing spot. It wasn't looking good, though, after, you know, weeks, months gone by. And really, you just – Cam kind of got forgotten about. But he gets picked up by New England – how interested are you to see this dynamic with Brady and Josh McDaniels, excuse me, with Cam Belichick and Josh McDaniels, because Brady has been there for 20 years and Cam and Brady really couldn't be more opposite of quarterbacks. Yeah, and you could already see we're still not used to exactly. them without saying Brady. Right. I have, I have no idea how this can go. I mean, I'm trying to think back as far as like recent signings like this where you know you're looking at a quarterback coming into a situation and could be the presumptive starter there really hasn't been a dynamic like this where all right like last year we saw Joe Flacco go to the Broncos we've seen Case Keenum go to like the Redskins to the Vikings we've seen guys like that kind of go places and start and you kind of knew what to expect I have no idea what to expect because I don't know what the offense is going to look like because the offense has been that offense without any changes as long as Brady's been there with Josh McDaniels. And Cam, like you mentioned, could not be more different of a quarterback than Tom Brady. So there's the whole dynamic of what the offense will actually look like. They're, they're a really good running team already. They were last year. You add him into the mix. But then you start kind of peeling it back a little bit. And you're like, well, can he still run and do the things he used to after the surgeries he's had now 31 years old? Does he still want to even run? Because that's what got him in this situation where he – had an okay 2018, and the shoulder issue started to creep up. He didn't have that same velocity, just played two games in 2019. So at the same token, you have that possible interesting dynamic. You also maybe don't want to because you maybe don't want to be running him more than you think you need to. And on top of all of that, nobody has confirmed whether or not he's been able to throw in front of anybody, so we don't know what he looks like. And he still has to pass his physical for New England. So all of this could just be kind of like filler with nothing else going on and us talking about something. But he might not even end up taking a snap for the Patriots. So he, yeah. could, he could not take a snap for them. He could be the piece they need to, to keep them in playoff contention. I think that's the way it more likely goes. I think as long as he's healthy and gets in there, I think Josh McDaniels will be able to figure something out. I know they were talking a, a couple of years ago about drafting Lamar Jackson and about being willing to – tailor the offense to him so maybe they do tailor it to Cam Newton and look the, the big uphill battle though is still going to be they have a terrible group of 
skill position players, and their offensive line is, was porous last year. That's why Brady's gone. So a lot of, it could be a lot of hype for nothing because there's still a lot of other issues to fix, but there's hype about something at least that we haven't had in a while because it was some big news. For me, I think Jared Stidham still starts for New England. I think you have to see what he has. You didn't draft any quarterbacks in the draft because either you thought he was better than what the potential QBs were coming out or you liked from what you saw in practice from him the past couple of years. And plus, by starting him, you at least somewhat know what you have in Cam. If Cam is healthy and you get some of that running ability, some of that playmaking ability, he can do a lot of good things. If he's still hurt or whatnot and you can't get a lot out of him, then you're going to be in some trouble. I thought it was incredible that Cam lost his last eight starts with Carolina, mm-hmm. which, which is pretty amazing considering that he was the MVP and they were in the Super Bowl about three that years the, ago. That was the season, I believe, of All or Nothing on Amazon Prime. It followed that 2018 Panther season. And watching that, you could tell, like, they were going really well. And then his shoulder started to become an issue. And then they lost the eighth straight. And then last year he played two and then shut it down for the rest of the year. So he's had ankle issues. He's had shoulder issues. You wonder, again, that's my biggest question is, for as much hype as we're putting onto this now, and everybody is like all of a sudden, oh, Patriots back to Super Bowl contenders. Like, first of all, let's see if he even starts. Second of all, when he does, let's see what he is, what he has. I'm not doubting him. I, workout videos are – you can't really go off of them entirely. It's not the same as playing the games. But the workout videos have looked incredible. But, again, that's not getting out there and showing us that you still have that fastball and you still can run. And besides having the ability to do it, that you're not gun-shy mentally because you know you've had those injuries. So it's going to be interesting to see when he gets back out on the field how he kind of carries himself, handles himself. Is he going to step out of bounds or throw a ball away where he might have used to try to just put the head down and barrel over a 200-pound linebacker? So there's a lot of different things that we're going to have to see from him before I'm ready to fully hop on the hype train of, uh, oh, he's taking them back and picking right up where Brady left off. You make a great point, too, about how the Patriots just don't have any skill weapons. Nothing. You know, we, we obviously don't know what Edelman's going to be like without Brady. He's 34 now. He's not getting any younger. They have two no-name tight ends that really haven't done much in the league. They have Muhammad Sanu. They have Nikhil Harry. So either quarterbacks in this league or guys like Mahomes, Lamar, Watson, Russell Wilson, who can make everyone around them better, or you have system quarterbacks mm-hmm. who are – do what the coaches tell them to do. They manage the game. They take care of the football. And I think that's what Stidham is going to be. And they're hoping that Cam can get back to that. He obviously won't be MVP level, but you can hope he can get back to some of what he was, and at least the Patriots do, and can win them some games. I think it's great, too, for Cam that he moves over to the AFC where people don't know him as well. That'll be good for him to get a fresh start. Either way, for either of those quarterbacks, it's impossible to follow in the footsteps of Brady. But, uh, you know, now at least you have some QB competition for New England. They could, they could bond over some War Eagle, too. They, I was just going to say, if you're an Auburn fan, there's no doubt what team you're rooting for come the NFL season. From football now, we go to golf. And this week, they're into Detroit. Joe, last week was definitely our worst week. Awful. Golf, for sure. Oh, my God. I, you know, we've kind of talked about uh, – How good know, we've been. How, how good we've been in the couple of weeks since golf came back, and that went completely downward. And, and yeah, like not even not just in our, in our picks to win. Like, all the guys we've kind of been mentioning have at least 
finished top five, top 10. So like even the ones that we were considering also did well, even if we didn't pick them, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned like three or four guys and they all were like there last right. week. No, very, very much. I mean, not. there were guys up there in contention, like Will Gordon, like what the hell's a Will Gordon? <laughs> I mean, he comes out of nowhere is like 18 under Mackenzie Hughes goes 10 under on Thursday. Brendan Todd was in there. The only guy that a lot of people had heard of was Dustin Johnson. He ended up winning the thing. But it was a tough week. It was just one of those weeks. That's what makes golf beautiful is you just never know. Yeah, and and I've always been kind of the one to say, you know, look, I know a lot goes into making the the odds for various golfing events. It's what kind of form you're in. It's, you know, is this a course where you need to rely on your irons or big driver? And you kind of match that to players' attributes. Um, But – I still don't understand how odds makers can take the risk of making a Dustin Johnson, who is a top five consistently golfer in the world, can bring that A game any week, can turn it on just like that, like we talk about with Kepka. How they could have had him, I think it was he closed at 33 to 1. That is a big time liability waiting it is. to happen. He hadn't won in three years, though. And a lot of, of people course. have that same mindset that you do, where they see a big name in DJ with those kind of odds and people pounce on it. Yeah. And more often than not, they don't win. And this just happened to be one of those weeks where he did win. So I hope that a lot of people out there who saw DJ at a big number like that took it and bet it. But here's the thing, though like with, with a lot of the online outlets like FanDuel and DraftKings with, in the states that have those. You could do the cash-out option where it, it does the math between what you got him at and the current live odds. So DJ hasn't won in three years, mm-hmm. but there's been a lot of times where he's been in contention at the very end, top, a lot of top five finishes, sure. top ten finishes. So getting him at 33-1, to 1, even if he didn't win, but you felt like on Saturday or something that you wanted to cash out at what would have been 10-1 to 1 odds instead of 33-1 to 1 odds, you still made a nice profit. So it, that's something to consider. I, I think as far as odds makers go, now the, the live uh, withdrawal option kind of hurts you because you can't just keep, like you said, pumping up these big names and hoping that people take the bait because even if they don't win, they can still cash out on Saturday or Sunday and then still make the money. So uh, golf odds for the, for the bigger names, it's, it's going to be a trickier thing going forward. Uh, and we've talked about this in the past. Like the live odds change things now that you can do the cash out options. And that would definitely. That one definitely probably bit some sports books in the butt on Sunday with DJ. No question. Well, this week we're in Detroit at the Rock and Mortgage Classic, and there's not as many big names as there have been. This is definitely the week it seems like that guys have gone three straight weeks with playing. They've gotten in their rhythm back. You got the Memorial coming up, which is one of the big non-major tournaments on the schedule. And DeChambeau's really the big name. I mean, he's by far – the favorite this week. And then you got some guys like Tony Finau, Patrick Reed, Sung J.M. You got some good, solid players. But DeChambeau is definitely going to be the guy a lot of people are taking. Nate Lashley last year was a guy who won this tournament, and he was an alternate who didn't get the call until Wednesday, the night before the tournament, and he went out and shot like close to 30 under and won the whole thing. So it could be another one of those weeks. Are you going DeChambeau? You mentioned that a lot of people are. Are you? I am not. I am rolling with Sung Jae in this week. Okay. This in, week, yeah. He's, this week, like you said, it's trickier. I like that. It's outside of the box. He's, yeah, M, you know, is, 
he really burst on the scene, I feel like, for a national perspective in the President's Cup down in Australia for the international team. I just like his game. He's solid, good iron player, plays every week. He's like the Iron Man of the PGA Tour. And past couple weeks, he hasn't been doing too well. After the first week back, he played pretty well out in Colonial. So I'm rolling with, with him this week. I actually, you? you mentioned all those guys that have been, um, you know, playing a couple weeks in a row. This is kind of their week off. I'm going to flip that on its head. Ricky Fowler missed a cut, missed a cut, took last week off to clear his head. Uh, this is an event he likes. It's an event that is right up his alley as being the spokesperson sponsor in golf of Rocket Mortgage. Yes. Uh, and, and I think, again, early on here, like we saw with DJ last week, like we saw with Kepka the week before, did he, I'm looking for a guy who is looking to shake the cobwebs and get right for that next tournament. You mentioned the Memorial coming up. It's one of the bigger non-majors. So I think this is a good situation for Ricky. He missed the two cuts. Had a couple of weeks to kind of figure out what his issues were. Took last week off and is back this week at a tournament that he's going to like. And again, uh, with the thought in mind of, of the, the cash out option and, and a guy like that who, if he's on his game, in a weaker field than we've seen the last couple of weeks, he's at 30 to 1. I know. So, Ricky Fowler for me this week. I, I like Fowler too. Pretty much this week, if I would advise anybody, take anybody but DeChambeau. Could he win yeah. this week? Absolutely. No but- value at all. No value at all. So from Ricky Fowler and Sung J.M., we go to Sung Min Kim from the KBO who we talked to this week, breaking down KBO, MLB, and much more. From the other side of the world for this week's episode, we are thrilled to be joined by Sung Min Kim, front office member of the Lot Giants and the KBO. Sung, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? That's good. Um, it's exactly noon on Monday where I'm at right now. 11 p.m. Sunday over here. Yeah, so the people who's going to be listening to this are not going to be seeing like where I'm at or whatever. But um, the thing is that I, I can see my room. I can see y'all's rooms. Um, it looks like it's much darker. It's much later here than where you are right now because I, didn't have my, I don't have my light on at this moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we, we, got, uh, we got, we were joking before uh that this is like our our scott van pelt late night edition sort of thing for the two of us over here am i supposed to be am i supposed to like shave my head or something (laughs) (laughs) some glasses oh man uh so there's so much we want to dive into regarding the kbo and your career path but just a couple of covid specific questions to start out with and we promise we're going to keep it short on that because we know we've we've been kind of hammering that everybody in the media for so long and it's just we want to be positive, so, but just a couple. Um, during these times, what does a typical work day look like for you as far as health-related protocols? Uh, I get a free mask a day. They actually give us a mask like at some point during the day. I mean, I also have a lot of masks just back home, like in my pantry. So every day I need, and I need a new one. I just like you know just rip one apart and just like put it put it on me and. Uh, when I entered the building, my office is in the uh, Sajik Stadium, which is like five, ten minutes of walk from where I live. Um, they have this heat-sensitive uh, camera where it measures your body temperature as you enter the building. And um, if your body temperature is uh, higher than a certain temperature, it, it beeps, and then uh, you have to get your temperature taken manually and 
if you don't feel well and if you really do have a high fever, then you got to go home, get get yourself checked and, you know, see what happens. But I, I that hasn't happened to me. Um, I don't think that really hasn't happened to uh, any of our other employees and everything's been good. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I mean, we did, I mean, back in spring training, we did have one player who experienced like a slightly high fever after practice, but it was only temporary, but we still didn't want to like take our chances. So uh, uh, we hadn't tested on, um, we shut down everything until the test results came back and obviously he tested negative. So everything went back as normal after that. Song, the MLB is hoping to get started in a couple of weeks over here stateside. A key component of that, obviously, will be the players' cooperation with protocol. How strict has the protocol been over in the KPO, and how receptive of these protocols have the players been to it? Um, obviously, I mean, it's been a while since I reviewed the protocol because um, that came out a while ago, back in, like, late April, early May. But – um, everyone's been very respectful. Everyone's been, uh, everyone knows that if someone uh, messes up or if someone gets infected, um, uh, that pretty much like costs the entire league some time and it's going to cost the team some time as well. So uh, everyone's being, being careful as, as much as they can uh, while following those protocols and no one's been complaining. I'll put it that way. Um, it also helps that we've been able to live our normal daily lives just commuting from our home as opposed to, you know, being isolated in a hotel or something like that. So, you know, it's just like we're just living our normal lives, just taking, just being more careful than usual. So, and those things are pretty easy to follow. So, yeah, no complaints there at all. And last one, like I said, we're going to keep it short. Last one related to this, I promise. Um, what's the general feeling among the players and, and other members of the organization at this point? Is there still a, a lingering of fear or is it more of a sense of security because they've kind of been in this routine for a couple of months? I think it's both. Um, it's obviously a big elephant in the room, so to say. So um, if it's, it's always in like a back of the mind for everyone, like anyone, something could happen to anyone and anything could happen, that kind of thing. At least it's in my mind all the time. That's what's keeping me like being careful about my personal daily life. Um, but at the same time, uh, we've been, you know, we've been trusting our government and our, um, leagues, uh, protocols and what they had to say. And so far it's worked out. So that's why we trust them. So, um, yeah, we feel pretty good about it. Um, FYI, you, you can ask me more questions about COVID. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, honestly, <laughs> no it, was more for, it was honestly more for us because like we've been doing this now for five weeks and, and just because there hasn't been actual live sports for the most part stateside, we keep talking about it. And like, we've been telling ourselves, like, let's stop, let's try to stop. Let's try to be more optimistic. So we almost try to limit it for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So as Joe said, going away from COVID now we've been watching the KBO on ESPN. We see the guys in that league just having tons of fun, black bat flipping singles, seemingly always having smiles, great cheers in the dugout. How different would you say is the vibe and the attitude of the players in the KBO versus those of what we're accustomed to in the MLB? You know what? That's a really good question. I don't think I don't know if I don't know why anyone hasn't really asked me that. Um, so here's the thing: I I've never really been to like a major league dugout during the game. I was I this is like the first and only team that I've worked for, and I know that um uh they do have this spirit where you know obviously every every game counts and um they take it seriously, but at the same time um baseball 
it's a game and you're supposed to have fun when you're playing games. And this, I mean, playing this game, um, we had our start delayed for around about a month, actually more than a month. And they've been waiting for a long time to get it started. So it's, it was a reward in itself that we actually get to play, play baseball. So I think that's a part of a bigger, that's a part of a bigger, um, what's the term that I'm looking for? Um, satisfaction of being around watching their teammates play, watching themselves play and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, like, and like these are baseball players. They would, they wouldn't be playing baseball if, if they didn't, if they didn't think it was fun. Right. And as far as, and for us the major league baseball players go on, um, I mean, stuff like backflips and other things in the uh, unwritten codes or unwritten laws, or I guess like, or follow up to an extent in the major league baseball culture. Um, but at the same time, I, I do like, to, I do think that they're having fun. They, I mean, so, and most of the, all the games, except for that one Orioles game in 2015, <laughs> were played with the crowd. Yeah. Um, I'm sure like, I'm sure that if you start observing games without any crowds, um, starting hopefully in a month, um, uh, you're gonna see. You're gonna. You're gonna be hearing a lot of cheers from the dugouts and a lot of uh, maybe trash talking, a lot of uh, just yelling and stuff like that. Um, moving forward from there as well, like it, you know, like once you start watching games without crowds, you're gonna notice those things. I, I promise mm-hmm. you that. Well, one thing we did notice was seeing you on ESPN, and you were on there with Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez. What was that experience like for you? It was cool. Um, Carl, Carl Ravitch, first and foremost. Um, I played uh, back in like when I was in middle school, high school, I played um, ESPN MLB 2K4 on Xbox. And Cal Rabbits was one, Cal Rabbits was uh, featured prominently in that game. Like every time, like like video game intro, like he would yeah. say, he, he says a remark in the video game um, intro. And uh, uh, before you play a game, um, Cal Rabbits uh, does this thing in like a virtual studio, um, introducing the starting pictures in that mm-hmm. video game. So. Um, so my 13 year old self would have, would not have guessed that, that they would come at all. It was actually really cool having a conversation with them, um, live on, on the air. Um, Eduardo Perez, um, I had known of him since I was 14 or so, but that's when I started like watching major league baseball, like on the daily basis. And, uh, you guys might not like this, but I grew up a Yankees fan. Um, Yeah. I'm a Mets fan, so it's yeah. It's I'm an cool. Orioles fan. You guys beat the hell out of us all the time. So, <laughs> well, my brother likes the Mets. There we go. I and you know I lived in Baltimore area, so I have a I do have a spot soft spot for the Orioles, and I love Camden Yards. So you know, there you go. It is but, a good ballpark. Anyways, uh, that's a great ballpark. Um, yeah. Anyways, Perez. Um, there was this game where he went. He hit back to back at bat home runs against Randy Johnson. And I think it was April 20, uh, 2005. And back then, I did not know that was possible. I did not know it was possible for anyone to hit back-to-back at that home runs against Randy Johnson. Yeah. So um, that, really left an, that really left an impression on me. Um, so it was just kind of like funny, um, surreal, just also like absolutely nerve-wracking for me to, try to talk to them uh, on the air, live on ESPN. Um, there's... Not a lot of ways that I can sugarcoat it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we'll make you as nervous 
as as live ESPN with Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez uh, here tonight. But um, well, it's mostly because this is this is my first cup of coffee for days. So. <laughs> uh, um, do you think that U.S. based players looking to advance their careers, whether it's minor leaguers, college players, or, or big leaguers that are lower on the totem pole? might be more likely to look now at the KBO as a viable outlet for furthering their future? Wow. Well, I mean, okay. This is a really, actually a really good question that I have, a, that I can talk about a while for, again, I'm surprised that I haven't been asked this question as, as frequently. Um, yes. Um, but yeah, yes. And it has been going on for a while. Um, obviously like, um, this league pays obviously the pay is a big thing. It pays better than how they how much they would um back if they were be if they were to be stuck in the minor leagues or or if they live a quad quad A life where if they if they're like going back and forth major leagues and and triple A all the time and they just don't know this is one kind of stability. Mm. So and um it's pretty and it's pretty obvious that for those guys the solution to get paid better and to have some sort of stability in their roles in the team, um, Asian leagues is a solution. And with more exposure, especially of the KBO, I do anticipate that um, interest in playing in Korea or even J or Japan or Taiwan is going to increase. And um, I don't know how accurate I'll be on this. I'm just going to make a guess. Um, Major League Baseball is, um, I guess, like they're not going to reach, I mean, they're definitely not going to reach their revenue goal that they're setting and teams won't either. So I think I'm just kind of like guessing that they're going to be uh, cutting more players after the season than how they would usual. And a lot of those players will um, look towards Asia as their next career, next um, op option path for their career. So that's something for Asian teams to um, anticipate as well. Now, one thing you talked about it a little bit was the fans, how we obviously haven't been able to see them in any stadiums. What can you tell us about the fans in South Korea and just their passion for baseball in general? Uh, they're crazy. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's actually pretty great. Um, when I, before in my other life, when I was a writer and just like a being just a fan of the game, uh, uh, sometimes I would just go to the games just to people watch. <laughs> like sometimes like sometimes I would not have a lot of anything to do in the, in an evening and I just want to like be somewhere to feel something or be somewhere to just like enjoy the atmosphere I would just go to a game and it it doesn't take it doesn't cost a lot to go to a game I mean like the infield seats are around 10 bucks 15 bucks depends on where you sit sit or if you would just want to be in outfield like those things those seats cost maybe like five to seven bucks or so depends on the stadium so for that price, uh, you you get like a hours worth of entertainment live just in front of you. Not only you get to watch baseball, you also get to watch people just enjoying baseball, which for me, like it's a really good value for your time and your money. And especially here in Busan, um, Busan, people here are passionate about their baseball. And it's kind of, I mean, it's sad for me to say that I haven't really experienced it yet as a team employee, but um, we will soon, hopefully. Um, I've heard that there's nothing better than a sold-out Sajik Stadium. The Sajik Stadium is the name of our ballpark. Um, just, um, just singing and yelling in unison uh, while the game's going on. That's I heard that's like just the world's finest quality of fan culture.
And to, to piggyback off of that, what has it been like to, to watch sports in an empty stadium? Since it's something that we're probably going to have to get used to for a while. Like, do you get to sit anywhere you want right now? Do you, do you kind of have to stay in a certain area? And what is it just kind of like that big cavernous atmosphere right now? Well, I'm in my office during the games. Uh, <laughs> but there are people who work, you know, who have to, you know, be sitting behind their own plate, um, scouting and uh, just plugging data or whatever. Uh, they they do have their assigned seats behind their home plate. And I think that's pretty much it. Um, team employees, I'm sorry, I guess some team employees can just, like, just walk around the ch- stadium chill while watching the game, taking a break from their work. But um, for me, I just, you know... Um, Sometimes, like, I will just, like, stand by the seats or I, I will stand by the staircases just to watch a little bit about live baseball during work. But, you know, those, those are often very short breaks. That's pretty much it. Talking about the KBO in general, Son, is, is, are there any names that we should have on our radar as far as players who are primed for a jump to the MLB, aside from guys who we already kind of know the names of, like Dixon Machado, Aaron Altier, any other guys that you think could maybe make that jump? Mm, uh, a lot of those guys are they play for other teams and it's kind of, I mean as a team employee it's hard it, it is hard to it is hard to speak for uh, players um, from the other teams in public standpoint so uh, is it okay if I just pass on this question yeah, no, yeah, no, problem, no, no problem no problem mm-hmm. um, now like some of the players that PJ mentioned Aaron Altair Dixon Machado they started here went over there um, I know a distinguished chirp like myself, you, you've gone back and forth. And I was just curious to know, what has your career path been like? This is going to be a long answer. Is it okay? <laughs> Go for it. We got plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so as you might have been informed by Kofi, um, I was a journalism major at Maryland. And to be honest, like I wasn't really 100% in on it because I only chose my major because I, I was approaching my junior year of college and I was still undecided. And, you know, the letters and sciences department was like, Hey, you got to choose a major like right now. <laughs> I, I was like, Oh, okay. And luckily I had taken journalism 200 before that semester mm-hmm. as like a, like a tryout, like a trial thing. And I did well. I did. I liked it. I liked the things that we studied. So I was like, you know what? My GPA is high enough to get into journalism. journals is cool. Let's do it. So I ended up, you know, getting a degree in broadcast journalism, even though I did much more on the print side of uh, print and online side of things with a minor in creative writing, which I don't really use. I didn't really use that degree at all. Like I just, you know, I, I thought about applying for MFA in poetry at some point, which is, which is really odd, to, which we really odd to think about at this moment. Um, so um, at Maryland, I was involved in, College Radio, WCFM, and 88.1. I was involved in, with the Downbag. I was a staff news photographer and a blogger. And like, I also did other stuff like um, like WC Sports. Uh, and after I graduated, um, I caught on a gig with the Test to the Times of the SB Nation for photography, Maryland men's basketball games, which was really fun. But um, a year after I graduated, uh, my visa was up, so I had to go back to Korea, mm. and you know, I had pretty much had to start anew, like everything, I, because um, I didn't really have any connections in Korea at the time. I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. Uh, 
I didn't really have any connections to, you know, for me to seek like photography um, opportunities or sports writing opportunities or anything like that. So, you know, I was stuck. I just didn't know what to do. So at some point, I just, I, I, I always really liked baseball. I just decided to, I just decided to find a 24-7 cafe nearby my uh, near, nearby where I was staying. So I just took my laptop there. I would just um, start staying up at like 2 a.m. to watch 1 p.m. Eastern time spring training games. And then once that was over, like uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time, that's uh, that's a 5 that's a 5 a.m. games here. So I just started watching baseball, major league baseball, like at all times, just regardless of the time. And then I, t- I would take a nap and then I wake up and then the KBO games, KBO spring training games would start. So I watched those as well. And then once the regular season started, um, I um, it got easier because um, seven, you know, a lot of the games start at 7 p.m. Eastern time, which is 8 a.m. here. So I didn't have to stay up to crazy hours. So I would start just watching 7 p.m. Eastern time games and 10 p.m. Eastern time games and then watch Korean baseball games and just just live watching baseball and write, and try to write about it and tweet about it. Eventually, it got, eventually I found my niche in writing about baseball in Korea. And it got me gigs in places like Sporting News, The Athletic, and later eventually uh, writing more in depth uh, about baseball things in fan graphs. Um, those are those. That's like a three year span of just me just watching baseball and writing about baseball in, in like just and like just uh, insane. I, I don't want to say insane, but kind, like not that I think that's kind of insane, insane uh, uh, extent. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I, I was noticed by my current boss and current general manager of the Lotte Giants, um, uh, Mr. Min Kyu Sung, who was, uh, who he used to be the Chicago Cubs um, scouting rim, um, uh, Pacific rim uh, scouting uh, coordinator, and he hired me. And then last September, he hired me, and I had to move all the uh, all the way down to Busan all of a sudden, and that's where I'm at right now. I work for the Lotte Giants. Well, you've had quite the journey, quite the resume. Do you have a dream job in in baseball? Oh, you know, I try not to project too much into the future because that does. I, mean, I it. I have a tendency. I used to have a tendency to do that. Like I just think too much about the future. I just think project too much in the, into the future, and and when things don't happen, it just really it's just kind of like mentally defeating. So I try not to do that. But um, I think I do believe that I have the ability to do to go as far as I want, whether it be like a higher up position in the KBO team or like a major league baseball team. Like that's, you know, like I just keep working. I just keep um, talking to people. I just keep work and I just keep working. Working is like a working and just being faithful to my duty is like the biggest thing right now. So, you know, if I know that if I keep doing that, like, you know, there's, there's no place that I can't go. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much how I see it. And, and what are your, some of your duties right now with the Giants? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the team prefers that I keep those things a little quiet. But I, am, <laughs> I know the I know the title was research and development. So associate, it's, yeah, it's associate, seemed, yeah. It seemed like it might be a little bit secretive, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I were working in like marketing, you know, I I would say yeah, hey, yeah, I just try to market my team as best as possible. Yeah. But um, research and development is a little more uh, secretive than the other departments. Yeah. So um, 
I don't want to say I pass on this question, but I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at, you know, a lot of things are very uh, baseball specific and proprietary. All good. Uh, one last thing before we get to the two closing segments we, we do with each of our guests. Who is Santa grandfather and how did he become one of the mm. only fans to be attending live sports right now? Santa grandfather, his, uh, his name is Kerry Maher. He's from, the, I think he's from South Carolina. Georgia, Georgia, South Carolina area. And fun fact, he was actually he was actually an actor back in the States. He had, like I don't know I don't know top of my off the top of my head which movies were he was in, but he was in some movies as like uh extras or some commercials as well, apparently. Um and he was also a professor at the University of South South Carolina and um he says that he actually taught some player like recognizable major league players. Um when he was there, like apparently Whit Merrifield was his student. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, just just Whit Merrifield, Justin Smoke are two of his students that made it big in the major leagues. Um, so he has the career going on, and he came to Korea in '08, I believe, uh, to teach at a university nearby Busan or in Busan actually. Um, and at first, uh, he didn't know much about Korean baseball, and he attended a game, and he just got immediately hooked on it. He started watching. He started going to games, going to the games live, and he's a big, no, he's a big old white guy with a huge beard. So um, he just stood out in the rest of the crowd, where you know most of the people look like me or or like Koreans, you know. And um, he became like a local celebrity. He because of his looks, he you know got a. Nickname like a KFC, K, Lotte KFC grandfather or a Lotte Santa grandfather, you know. And now he's a team employee. He got hired um, last fall uh, around the same time I was hired uh, to help our foreign players and coaches get acclimated to this culture. And, you know, I actually see him around all the time because he's, you know, now that he's a team employee, uh, you know, he, 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 he is actually able to come to games where the fans can't because he's a team employee. Awesome. That's a great nickname, Santa Santa (laughs) Grandfather. So as Joe was saying, Sung, we have these segments that we do with our guests. We call it the Swift 7, which is basically seven rapid-fire questions for you. And then we got a trivia question for you at the end. Okay. How how fast am I supposed to respond? Uh, A couple words. Yeah, Yeah, we've been kind of loose on it. Like, we call it the Swift 7, but it's more like it's a moderate speed. The casual seven, <laughs> seven exactly. So, so for example, first question for you, Song. Who's your favorite? All right, M- all right. Who's your favorite MLB player? Wow, um, Aaron Judge. Okay. Right. Uh, favorite stadium to visit in the KBO outside of the Giants? Oh, the the Taiwan NC Park, the home of the NC Dinos, a great stadium. Number three, favorite baseball movie? Sandlot. Okay. And I see you wearing your Terp sweatshirt there. So I got a Maryland question for you. Now I know you were at Maryland when they were in the big 10 and the ACC. So which team did right. you, ha- which team did you hate the most uh, when Maryland played against them? Uh, I mean, I mean, the answer has got to be Duke, right? Got I mean, it. I, don't really I mean, it got to be, yeah. I mean, I don't really hate teams in general. Right. I, I, I'll just be like, you know, I'll just be like, you know, they're trying their best to win and I respect, I respect that. But, um, Whatever Duke came to Maryland, it was a definitely a special atmosphere. Yeah, and it's easy to feed off of that. Definitely. Right. Question number five: favorite ballpark food. Uh oh, the 
uh, the answer is obviously the Boogs Barbecues in uh, Camden Yards. Mm. All right. Good choice. Is, is there a mascot in sports better than the Dino's Swole Daddy Dinosaur? <laughs> you know, I took that picture, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, our mascots, not, not our, our seagull mascots, obviously. Good answer. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, last one of the Swift Seven. Uh, who is your World Series pick? If the MLB season is able to go off without a hitch, I know you're going to be biased here, but but what's your what's your pick? Dodgers. Oh, okay, good. I thought I thought for sure you were going to just have to say. You Yankees. think they play the Yankees in the World Series? You think they make it out of the AL? Uh, uh I think it's poss- It's definitely possible with the teams that both teams they have. I just think that it's about time that the Dodgers get lucky. You know, it is. Yeah, Fair enough. they're due. I got one more just question that popped into my mind before we get into the trivia i asked you the ballpark food question what is ballpark food like in korea is it is it totally different than the you know hot dogs and burgers of, of the mlb in the u.s uh what is it kind of like it's got a ver- it's it's got a variety of everything on I mean, it depends on the stadium but um i've seen hot dogs and burgers actually on every venues that i've been hmm. um i've seen you know i've seen ballparks with like kfc and i've seen ballparks with like burger kings and mcdonald's and their okay. um and some stadiums like the Changwon NC Park actually, um, they have this grill section where they grill uh, pork belly right in front of you, which is great, by the way. Um, and do you, you know, you guys know what anglefish is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like really ugly fish that lives really bottom of the oceans. Yep. Right. Yeah. So Changwon uh, in the NC Dinos, um, that region is known for their anglefish uh, cuisines. So they make at the ballpark they serve uh, anglefish nuggets, which is actually oh. really good. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't think uh, I didn't I didn't know that. Uh, I, I always I think my only knowledge of anglefish is that like you know the 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 scene in Finding Nemo where they're just down there in the depths of the ocean. I didn't know that you could actually like fish them and eat them. That's pretty cool. Oh, they're delicious. You should try them. <laughs> if you, if you they're delicious. I, I I swear by it. All right, that's good to know. I, if I ever get out there, that's that that's number one on the list to try. Um, but all right, so the trivia question that PJ had mentioned. So we've done this for all of our guests. We put ninety seconds on the clock. Or three strikes. All right. Um, yep. And we've kind of we've kind of gotten a mixed bag. Media people have kind of tended to get them wrong. Former athletes or coaches have always almost always gotten them right so far. Um, ours for you is kind of like a little hybrid MLB KBO question. And again, ninety seconds or three strikes. So the question is: there's there's a bunch of former MLB players currently in the KBO. Which three current KBO players have the most career MLB hits. And whenever you're ready, PJ will start his 90-second timer. Yep, go ahead. Can you mean to repeat it? I'll repeat it. So we're, okay, so we're talking about the current KBO players. Current KBO players. Who are the top three current KBO players in terms of MLB hits? MLB hits. Okay, cool. Uh... PJ, you can start the clock, I guess. Ready yep. to go? Yep, All yep. Right. Go ahead, Song. All right, I got my guess. Um, Edison Rostel, Jose Fernandez, and Aaron Altair. Altair is one of them. So you got one strike oh. to work with. You got one strike to work with still as you can get the other two. All right, how about... Uh, 40 seconds left. Brendan Barnes and Preston Tucker. No. 
Oh, who are they? Uh, Tyler Saladino and Hyunsoo Kim are number two and number three. Wow. And Hyunsoo was there for only two seasons, and he had that many hits. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah Altier led it with 222. Saladino was actually right behind him with 221. And then Hyunsoo Kim, 141 in two years with the Orioles. Mm. Yeah, I was in you know I was in Maryland when Hyunsoo Kim was with the Orioles, and that was that was a really fun time to be in that area for sure. It was. Yeah, like I mean, the Orioles were Orioles were like playoff teams that year, and then also the Nationals were also playoff teams that year. Like yeah, it, was, it was. I mean, obviously, I, obviously, I, I've been a Yankee fan, but um, it was really cool to see living in that area and just seeing those two teams flourish. I can I can definitely second that. I mean, I know it's. I'm a, I'm a tortured New York sports fan. So, like, there's – you could be a New York sports fan and enjoy it, being a Yankees fan or a Giants fan with all the championships. But I'm a Jets-Mets-Rangers fan. So, 22 years on this earth and I haven't seen a championship yet. Um, and I – division rivals with the Capitals, the Rangers are, and division rivals mm-hmm. with the Nationals for my Mets. But I could tell you this, like, I didn't really have any ill will towards either of those teams. And both of them won the championships while I was at college. And it was incredible – just kind of being around that atmosphere during during both of the runs. Were you in South Korea for the Olympics when it was in Pyeongchang? Were you out there? Yes, I was. I, I actually didn't get to go at all. Um, that was it's a long story, but that was a month that where I was doing a month, one month residency with Fangraphs, and you know I I was like you know what I need to ace this thing. I need to really I need to do a really good job. So I just kind of like stuck myself into in, in a sole area while everyone everyone else was having fun in Pyeongchang. And also like the tickets were expensive. I didn't I yeah. didn't want to spend too much money to yeah. go there, you know. Yeah. Right. Well Song, thank you so much for your time. I mean, I hope it wasn't uh taking too much out of your day and uh you get to enjoy your off days no, not before at all. you get back to the office. I mean, do I look do I look like I'm in a rush right now? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, very, beautiful. very far from it. Oh man, but no, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been enjoying watching all the KBO games. I'm personally a night owl, so I've been I've been up for for a lot of the the 1 a.m. games, some of the 3 a.m. games. So it's been a lot of fun to watch and kind of experience that as one of the silver linings of the whole shutdown over here. Oh yeah. Um... I was gonna ask you who's playing today, but no one's playing today. So. <laughs> oh, well. Nah, not yeah. yet, unfortunately. Yeah, I miss MLB. Um, I, I, I just wish that it, it, everything goes safely. I know that a lot of some teams have had their employees and players infected with the COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. so that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, so uh, there's a side of me that wishes that they would just wait until like everything just kind of like clears in the United States. Or it becomes better, like things get a little better in the states to for them to start. But at the same time, um, I mean, it feels a little irresponsible for the cities. Like you know, like I've I've missed Major League Baseball, watching the MLB as a part of my daily routine. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, everything uh, turns out as safe as possible. Yeah, that's the main thing we can hope for now. Is look, we're all kind of starved for it right now. We all want it, but I think I would at least hope that a lot of people will say if it comes at the expense of people's health and lives, then we don't want it. You know, I, I hope that if it comes to that, people could kind of make that, that judgment because that's the last thing we need to see is this turn into an issue where players and, and staff members are getting it and, and having the negative effects of it. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Do you, do you have any intentions of, of coming back to the United States? Yeah. Um, if an opportunity arises, uh, 
I would love to be back in the States. Um, at this moment, I'm pretty happy with my life here in Busan, South Korea. So, um, you know, I mean, the thing, the one of the most difficult things in my life was leaving all my friends behind back in the States and coming back to Korea. And back then, um, I always wondered how I'm, how I'm ever going to like be able to like have a life in Korea after spending 12 years, um, middle school, high school and college in the States. Mm. Um, you know, like imagine you had to leave America right now and just have your life in other side of the world. That was tough. Um, and for a while I just kind of like mentally refused to, you know, acclimate to this new culture, which was a big mistake. And once I like decided to, you know, like, um, take in the culture, take in, like start making efforts to make new friends and all the kind of stuff, things got easier. And yeah, I'm pretty happy right now. I'm pretty happy where I'm at, but um, if an opportunity arises for me to come back to the States, I, I wouldn't, I would, I would definitely look into it and see what, see where it leads me to. That being yeah. said, I miss, Chick- I miss Chick-fil-A. I miss Chipotle and I miss Five Guys. I was just gonna ask you the food places that you miss the most. Oh uh, well, there it is. You read your oh, mind. Those, those three. Those yeah. three. Oh, Chipotle, Chipotle, and Five Guys. All right, Simon. Yeah, so we're getting like, a warning now from from Zoom that we're gonna get kicked off. So thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Song. Appreciate Best it. Best of luck to you. Mm-hmm. Whatever you end up with, stay in touch. And and most of all, right now during these times, continue to stay safe and healthy. Yeah, you guys too. Um, yeah, thanks for the kind word. Thanks for having me here. It was really fun. Of thank course, you. thank you. That was Sung Min Kim of the Lotte Giants. So great to have him. How about the effort to join us from South Korea? That is using technology, (laughs) Joe Malfa, and Zoom at its finest to being able to talk to him from South Korea. And I I thought it was a lot of great information. It surprised me how many of the questions that we asked him that you thought he would have heard before, like the guys in the KBO using that as a platform to jump spring them into the MLB and kind of the vibe of South Korean players and stuff that he said he really hadn't gotten questions about. Yeah, that kind of surprised me a bit. I got, you know, whenever you're going into an interview, you kind of think of the scenarios in your mind of, oh, how could this go? How many react to this question? And as I, we were going through it and making the, some of the questions that we had for him, it was a thought in the back of my mind that I was like, ah, I mean, like the KBO is kind of like the hot topic right now. And I know he's been interviewed by a couple of different outlets already. I hope he doesn't kind of get annoyed that these are kind of repetitive. Uh, but he didn't think so. He liked the question, yeah. so we did yeah. good. Um, it was good. And, and, and it was a lot of fun talking to him, getting those answers, especially uh, I didn't realize how secretive his job was. I, I know that he was in research and development for the Lotte Giants, and I knew his background previously just cut through connections, talking about him and following him on Twitter, being a Maryland guy. And I did not realize it was that secretive. So I really hope, you know, down the line, we could actually find out what he does and, and maybe he gets a role with an MLB team or something. But I, it really kind of stuck out to me what he was saying about uh, just kind of the, how the culture is there. That was one of the main things that I wanted to hear from him. You turn on those games, guys are having a grand old time. And it's just totally different vibe. Even when he was saying, you know, how, how cheap it is to go to a game, the fans love it. Like you could get cheap games here especially for the lesser teams. Like I could go to a Mets game on a Tuesday night in August for 10 bucks. But as far as like the big teams go, you're not finding that. And oh, like, like he was saying, you're getting, you're getting $10 seats down by the infield. So, yeah. you know, when there are fans, obviously not now, but we have never really been exposed to the KBO in a normal year. It's just now because ESPN picked it up with nothing else on. So I, I'm really curious to see as this goes on, if ESPN maybe thinks to, 
kind of keep this relationship with the KBO, seeing how people enjoyed it. And now we get to be exposed to it maybe next year when they do have fans and get to get the full experience. He had mentioned, like, I, I wish you guys get to see that. And I, I, I wish too. I mean, you mentioned a guy like Santa Grandpa like that we asked him about. Yeah. So it, it's a totally different vibe over there. And I really do hope that the ESPN sticks with it and we get to see the KBO at full peak KBO next year with fans uh, the whole nine. Definitely. And I think they've been kind of a guinea pig in all of this, the sports world, especially baseball, seeing how it's going for them being one of the first team sports in any country to really resume play. And I think that from what I've seen, from what Sung was telling us, they've done a really good job managing everything. And as we hope to start baseball here in three weeks, I know that Rob Manfred and Everybody in the MLB has definitely been looking at the KBO, what's working, what's not working, and how they can implement that into the major league game. And like we mentioned with him, another thing to look for in the next couple of years, how many times do we see a player decides to go to Japan or a player decides to go to, to play in, in Taiwan? And mm-hmm. the KBO, it was mentioned here or there, but it was never regarded like a Japan. And the players we see in the reverse of that, coming from Japan, the Ichiros, the Shohei Otanis of the world, like, all these people that have come from Japan, Korea's kind of been like the, the sort of afterthought. Uh, but now, with all this exposure and, unfortunately, minor league teams being cut and, and as a result of the financial implications of COVID-19 and college programs being cut, there's going to be a lot of players who are looking for an outlet to continue playing the game. And with fewer minor league teams and fewer college programs, you're going to look overseas. And the KBO might get quite the influx of American-based or or South American Latin-based talent in the next few years as well. It absolutely could. And with MLB approaching and players really starting to have to think about whether or not they want to play based on their certain situations, we've seen some guys, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross of the Nationals, Ian Desmond of the Rockies, to name a few, they have opted out. Joe, we had this discussion about the NBA a little bit a couple weeks back, but do you think that some of the big stars of the game in baseball, especially if they're not on some good teams, if they don't think they can compete for a championship, do you see them sitting out? It's weird with baseball, with the MLB specifically versus basketball, because you mentioned the big players on teams that might not think they have a chance sitting out. All right, so like Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, uh, Bradley Beal, guys like that on teams that realistically have no chance. Right. Could they sit out? Baseball's different because it's not at the end of the season like basketball is or like hockey is. It's the beginning of the season. Especially and, with 60 games. Exactly, and it's a 60-game sprint. We mentioned last week the Mariners had a really good start last year and then finished off a historically bad season. So you might not really have that. Like a team like the Padres where if this season were to go in full – all right, they're probably going to hover around 500, maybe a little bit better. And, and you could, if it were a case like that, where it was maybe towards the end of the season, maybe a Manny Machado thinks of, of not playing. But in a 60-game sprint, they have the talent, the young talent, with, with the, the Tatises of the world and, uh, and Machado and, and their pitching staff that really kind of showed last year its potential future strength they have the talent to do some damage in a 60 game sprint so I don't know that you'll have that just because of the situation sure some some bigger name players uh, will opt out it's inevitable Uh, but I don't think the reasoning would be because they don't think they have a chance it's going to be because they're concerned about 
the obvious risks of playing and you're going to get more players who opt out than we've already seen. You're going to get positive tests coming out. And the same thing goes for the NBA. We've seen since last week, more NBA players withdraw. Basically the nets are going to be running out a G league team because Deandre Jordan yeah. is not going Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie, yeah. on the Fritz and Kyrie Irving KD. We all know that obviously. So this is all going to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just going to be something to monitor. We've got still three weeks till baseball, four weeks till the NBA and NHL. A lot of moving parts still. Uh, and don't. I guess the main theme is don't be alarmed by seeing players withdraw. You knew this was going to happen. It's just now it actually is happening, and you have to make sure you kind of temper expectations. And we just still got to be hopeful that we, we do get something, again, if, if it's safe. And that's the main thing we kind of keep harping on, harping on is if it's safe, that's the most important thing. Uh, I, I know Buster only in the past week was quoted as saying he still only sees a 5% chance of MLB even getting up and running and a 0% chance of them finishing the season. I don't know that you could be less optimistic than that. Uh, so th- there's plenty of, of pessimism going around right now. And, and all we can really do is be hopeful. And I think we have to, now that we're getting closer, not only to, to those sports, but to the NFL at the end of the month, supposed to start training camp. I think we have to start coming to the realization that this virus is still very much here. And you see that with the horrible upticks in, in Florida, Texas, California, Arizona, that as much as we've been looking forward to July and August, we're making up for the last few months of no sports. We may not get there. And, and we have to still be willing to accept that reality, unfortunately, if it comes, but we're just going to keep talking sports and, and trying to be optimistic in the meantime. And, and I know we wanted to kind of follow up on what we were talking about last week, starting to sort of handicap the MLB season. We talked about some of the contenders last week. Uh, one thing that I wanted to get to this week was what we think some of the X factors can be as far as looking at teams in that next cut of talent, that next tier below the Dodgers, Yankees of the world who, who can make a run. Yeah, for me in the AL, for sure, the team I'm keeping my eye on is the Angels. I part of me it's just because of how much I love Trout (laughs) and you want to see him in there the Rendon edition helps tremendously but I think not enough's being talking about about Joe Madden and And Shohei Otani back as well Otani back as well you're obviously not getting prime Albert Pujols but having his bat in the lineup doesn't hurt you but Joe Madden Joe we saw what he did for Tampa winning the World Series for the Cubs had to be as tough as anything in baseball with how much was weighing on just them finally winning a World Series for him to be able to get that done speaks to him. And because the Dodgers take all the headlines in L.A. away from Trout, nobody talks about that team. Because they're flying under the radar, because the Astros will be getting all the talk in that division with how many people will get hit this game and whatnot. And I just feel like they're not going to get talked about. They have a lot of good talent. Tampa's another team I've told you I like a lot. And because the Yankees, again, will take all of the headlines in the AL. People forget Tampa took Houston to a game five Mm -hmm. in the division series. I mean, they win that game. They're in the CS, and who knows what happens with their pitching, a glass now, Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. I'd put them up with just about anybody. They have good young bats, too, in that system. And I look for teams that nobody's talking about, and it – you know, nobody talks about Tampa. They just don't get any kind of love. So I'd keep an eye on the Rays, the Angels. And then in the NL, I've told you 
how much I still like the Nationals with their pitching in a short season, how they can definitely do some damage. Cincinnati could be a team to watch out for. They have some nice young pieces coming up, especially in the order. And I think the NL Central could just be such a crapshoot this season. Yeah, I think for the AL, I agree with you. I mean, again, we tried not to compare notes beforehand, and we don't, and we didn't. But those were my two teams as well. The Angels are positioned really well for a quick sprint. Again, if this was a 162-game season, right. Angels for me are a team that's going to be just above 500, maybe gets to 90 wins. But in a 60-game sprint, different story. So I like them. I like the Rays. I'm glad you brought up the pitching staff because the pitching staff is what is going to set teams apart for me this year. Same. You mentioned the Nats. I'm actually not on board with the Nats this year. I think of, of all the teams that could possibly have a letdown, teams who are coming off a World Series win sometimes have a letdown anyway. Mm-hmm. But now you're in a odd 60-game season. You're losing Zimmerman, who's been the leader of your clubhouse for the better part of two decades because he's, he's opting out of this season. Did not right. say he's going to retire, going to reevaluate 2021. So you lose that in your clubhouse, and you lose Rendon. So you've got the normal post-World Series letdown that teams sometimes endure, plus being in an odd 60-game sprint, plus losing your leader, plus losing your best player in Rendon. I think there's a lot going against them. Um, total bias. Got to be on board with the Mets. We're talking pitching staffs, and they did a lot to kind of shore up the holes in their uh, at the back end of the rotation, in their bullpen. They have a ton of bats, which nobody realizes. I mean, you're going to have, especially with the, with the DH coming to the NL, uh, completely forgetting that they have Ioannis Cespedes, a lot of people are, and you get him there to possibly be a DH. And just uh, Robinson Cano, you could throw in as a DH. Pete Alonso, you could figure out if you want to play that first or DH. And the DH helps the, the Mets out a lot. DeGrom still heading the way. With their, in the rotation, and, and then beyond that, they, they added Rick Porcello, they added Michael Waka, they have Steven Mass, they have talent. Uh, the bullpen, they got Yuri Familia back and hopefully get him to where they want him to be. Edwin Diaz cannot be worse than he was last year, and they've got uh, Dylan Batances this year as well. So they've added to the bullpen, they've added some bats. Uh, the starting rotation only lo- lo- really loses – well, they lost Zach Wheeler to free agency, but they lost Noah Syndergaard to a UCL injury again, but they added Porcello and Waka. And if you're going to be, if teams are going to be pitching guys on, on one day, fewer rest because it's a shorter sprint. Now you're getting to Grom out there still more. So the Mets have what it takes in a short sprint. I do like the Phillies as well. The Phillies have, have a lot of talent as well. Mm-hmm. And um, really the teams that are at the bottom of the AL East and the NL East. So the Marlins and the Orioles, they, sorry to your Orioles, you get totally, totally the short end of the stick because oh, two, the two best divisions in baseball right. are the AL East and NL East. And now the bottom dwellers in both of those divisions have to go up against exclusively those divisions. So you'll never have the, the cupcake couple of series against the AL Central. It's only the AL East exactly. and only the NL East. Right. The Phillies are another good team. And the Phillies, I feel like after all the hype they got for the last offseason with Harper and Real Muto and McCutcheon, mm-hmm. nobody's talking about them this year. Exactly. So I like, I like that pick a I lot. Like, last I think, year they were the team that was talked about too much. Right. They flopped. And right. now this year nobody's talking about them at all 
That yes. talent didn't go anywhere. It's still yes. all there. Exactly. And it's a short sprint. So right. those are the two teams I'm looking at. The common denominators, I think, are the in the regular season that you'll see teams who make the playoffs are what wins in the postseason. I think good managing, good pitching, starting mm-hmm. in bullpen, and clutch hitting. And, you know, that's why I think, for me, I went with teams that have stars in their lineup, especially the Angels with Trout and Rendon. I like them to possibly – Win the ALS, probably not, but maybe sneak in there as a I wild. I still, I'm curious to see. You know, a lot has happened since then in the world and in baseball. Will teams still remember the Astros in the back of their mind? Are we still going to see them getting hit a ton? I think they do. Like that? But again, with every game meaning so much, you just you want can't, exactly. You you got it. You got to pick it, and choose your spots. And if it does happen because of the heavier penalties for arguing with umpires and charging the mound and clearing the benches because of the virus. Yeah. Will teams be more likely to do it though? Because they know that the Astros can't retaliate by clearing the benches and, and charging the mound. It's going to be so fascinating. It's going to be that. that, That's a good point. Once they only uh, unveil the rules of, of, being strongly against charging the mound, clearing the benches. That was the first thing that crossed my mind is teams will now be more likely to hit Astros players because they know it's not going to start any brawl. And you know what will probably happen is the Astros will play so many 3-2, to 2-1 two, two, games and be right in there. If it's 10 nothing, then teams might start pelting them a little and, bit. And in, in those close games, that extra runner on base from the hit-by-pitch can make all the difference. So, so, again, there's your way to kind of argue against it because of the shorter season and everything means more. That's exactly right. And as we end all of our podcasts, we will do Where Would You Go, Joe? And then a trivia question for each other. Joe, July 2nd is when this episode will drop. Wimbledon starting to pick up here in July. And then I got baseball and a boxing one for you. So we'll see which one you choose. Answer choice A and B are both Wimbledon. A is the women's Wimbledon final in 2011 between Petra Kvitova and Maria Sharapova. B is the women's Wimbledon final in 88 between Steffi Graf and Martina Navratilova, two big-time heavyweights. Answer choice C is 1986 Red Sox versus Blue Jays. You had a chance to go to the game where Roger Clemens was going for his 15th straight consecutive win, which would be which would have been an AL record for the Red Sox. And then answer choice D, if you maybe vaguely remember this one, Jeff Horn defeats Manny Pacquiao. Oh, my God, yes. That was horrible. In 2017 horrible. <laughs> in Australia in a controversial upset in the WBO, Walter Waite. Mm-hmm. So you get all those. Finally, boxing makes an appearance in Where yeah, Would You and I want to jump on that one right away because I remember watching this fight live, and I, like, had to – That was the one on ESPN, right? Yes, that it was yes. Free. I, had to, yeah. I had to rewind to make sure I understood the judges' scoring afterwards <laughs> because it made no sense. and. They had Teddy Atlas on afterwards, and he was saying uh, that it was one of the worst decisions he'd ever seen, and, and he was talking about how this is what's wrong with boxing. And, and I agree with him. Like In the last 12 to 16 months, I've started to get a lot more into UFC than I used to be. And the judges scoring sometimes is a problem in the UFC, but mm-hmm. because you have so many submissions and knockouts, you don't get to the judges as often as you do in boxing. And part of the reason that the UFC has gotten more popular than boxing besides the fact that boxing doesn't really have the star power anymore, is that there's not much fan frustration because the fights usually end and the judges aren't as bad. That's part of the frustration with boxing is that if it goes to the judge's scorecard, you get all this 
the, all these issues and it turns people off. So definitely not going to answer choice D. Um, we've talked about this in the past. I always pref- preference finals and, and potential trophy lifts over anything else. So right away, the two Wimbledon finals stick out to me over that Clemens game. As we go along in more of the dead of summer, I'm going to have to start just picking, obviously, regular season games because we're going to run out of uh, potential yeah, trophy lifts. And it's, exactly. my options are going to be just different baseball games. Um, so between the two Wimbledon finals, uh, the Kvitova Sharapova one, I don't really remember this one off the top of my head. I obviously don't remember the Steffi Graf Navratilova one because I wasn't born for another 10 years. But uh, my, my mind went to that one right away because I remember in past years when they've been talking about Serena and other players looking for that uh, Grand Slam, I, I know for a fact that Steffi Graf won this because 1988, maybe you want to fact check me on this while I'm talking, but 1988, she won the Grand Slam. She won all four majors in 1998, I believe. So I think I'd pick answer choice B just because this was – a historic year. She won all four majors. So Wimbledon, one of the pieces of that puzzle. And again, you mentioned two of the. It would be correct. All right, there we go. All See, four See? Grand slams. Well uh, done. It, so then that was all that year. That so was my choice that too. Yeah, especially talking with Sean McDonough last week about how much he loved Wimbledon. It's high on our bucket list. Graf and Navratilova. I mean, that's yeah. two of the biggest big games. As it gets. Yeah. A Grand Slam was won that year by Graf, and that's part of the puzzle. So it's got to be that one. Yeah, that that was a pretty easy one. All right, and then as always, we'll do some trivia to DJ, end it. We're, we're tied we're at one. one to one through yeah, five it's, episodes. It's not this good. Is not good. Not good. <laughs> um, all right. Do you want me to give you? I'll ask question? you the question. I'll ask you the question first. This Go week. ahead. All right. So this week you had mentioned to me that you're doing baseball for my question. Yes. So I went football for your yeah. question. We've had a lot of baseball, so yes. Switch yes. it up. Go ahead. All right. So ties into Cam Newton. It's a real loose tangential tie, but I wanted to at least tie it into our earlier discussion of the NFL. So the Heisman Trophy winner going on to become the number one pick has become a recent uh, common thing that we've seen, starting with Sam Bradford in 2010. Yes. Six of the last 11 top overall picks won the Heisman, and that includes Cam Newton in in 2011. Um, It was not so common before this last stretch of 11 years. In the 30 drafts leading up to 2010, in the 30 drafts leading up to 2010, there were only five Heisman winners selected first overall. So that's from 1980 to 2009. I want you to give me three of the five Heisman winners to be selected first overall from that 30-year stretch before the recent stretch where it became common. It's a good question. They show these stats all the time, but of course I only remember the ones like right after Cam. Yeah. So, you're ready. You don't want me to repeat yeah. it? You're ready to I'm go? Re- all right. Let me yeah, I'm ready to go. You, then. All right. Uh, Carson Palmer was one. One of them. Yeah. Um, and these aren't nobodies. They are, they are big names. So. Sure. Sure. Um, let's see. Number one overall. I mean, it's gotta be quarterbacks. I don't think it was Jason White or Danny Warfel or Steve Spurrier. Um, 1980 to 2009. 1980 to 2009. Okay. Let's see. Um, 35 seconds into it. Hmm. Again, the 30 drafts leading up to 2010. So the 1980 draft or the 09 draft. There were five. You gave me one in Carson Palmer. We're halfway through at 45 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Was it uh, – did Danny Warfel go one? Danny Werfel was not one of them. Strike one. Um, man. 
Um, let's see. Doug Flutie? Doug Flutie is not one of them. 25 seconds to go. Mm. Yeah. 15 seconds, one strike. I think he got me. I'll, I'll go. I'll go John Elway, but I don't think he won the Heisman. No, nope. yeah, that's it. It wasn't. It was. You were kind of on the right track for a quarterback with one guy, Vinny Testaverde, nineteen eighty-six Heisman, nineteen eighty-seven first okay. overall pick. Bo Jackson. That was the one that I thought you would have had a slam dunk thinking, as well. I thought Bo was like the number seven pick. Uh, he 85, was one. Eighty-five Heisman, eighty-six uh, number one pick. The other two were Billy Sims, nineteen seventy-eight Heisman, nineteen eighty first overall pick. And George Rogers, 1980 Heisman, 1981 first overall pick. Yeah, I, I was thinking Bo, but I thought he was the number seven pick. I don't that's know. why I gave you. That's why I gave you three out of five too, because I thought Bo, Vinny, and Carson are within reach. The other two, if you can get them, good. And then within yeah. those three of Bo, Vinny, and Carson, I knew Vinny might be tough. Vinny for me isn't tough because he was a Jet quarterback <laughs> from my upbringing. Sure. Uh, so that's why it stuck to my mind. But uh, but yeah, that's that was. Uh, Good one, good one. I know. I always see those graphics, and I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. And, and then it comes to bite me back. Like I said, um, it was very tangential, the relation to Cam Newton in that question. But. Yes. All right, so the question for you is baseball, and okay. pr pretty easy one. All right, four guys in the history of baseball, 3,000 hits and 600 home runs. You got to give me three of the four. Okay? Three of the four. 3,000 3, hits, hits 600, 600 home runs. Home runs. Correct. Okay. All right, your 90 seconds starts now. Go ahead. Alex Rodriguez. A-Rod is – let me go back to the answers. A-Rod is one of them. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Uh, Jim, Jim Tomei? No, not Tomei. All right, strike one. Um, 3K and 600. Uh, is – Griffey Jr. on that list. He is not. Too he didn't get to 3,000, but he got to 600, right? Um, I don't think he got – he didn't get to 3,000. He got to six. Yeah. 30 right, seconds. Strikes. Um, all right. Who does both things well? And who got to 600? Uh, Albert Pujols? Pujols is number two. Right. I got to give so you – you got one strike left, and you need one answer. All right. And how much time I got still left? You got uh, 35 seconds. All right. Plenty of time. So Frank Thomas crosses the mind. Um, I, I don't know if he's got the hits. I know he's got the homers. Um, David Ortiz crosses my mind, but he might have been very close on both. 20 seconds. Let me know when I got 10 seconds left. Okay. Um, I might just have to guess one of those. Reggie Jackson. Is Reggie Jackson on there? I go back a little bit. Hmm. I'm not seconds. sold on Frank Thomas or David Ortiz, so I'll say Reggie Jackson. It is not Reggie Jackson. Ah, was it one of the other two? It was not, no. All right, all right, good, good, good. I would have felt bad if it was one of those two. <laughs> so you got Pujols, you got A-Rod. The other two were Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. Okay. I should have gotten Hank Aaron. Willie Mays, I didn't I, – I, I honestly didn't remember that he had the home runs. I should have gotten Right, right. Willie, I don't think I, I would have known the homers. Um, and Hank, I don't, I don't know if I would have gotten the hits, but obviously the homers. We got to figure something out here because we're giving each other good questions that we're just missing by, like, one guy. Yeah. But we're, one for, we're both one for six or six episodes. So we're not acquitting ourselves well. We're not I mean, doing we, we know that we're better than this. And, <laughs> and a lot of people that I think listen to this, Shout out to, to Ryan Wormelli, uh, 
I think he knows that we're better than this, but (laughs) but we're not. I think we got to maybe put it down a notch. Well, you know, it it definitely helps self confidence a little bit when Tim Kirchin doesn't get his questions. So you know, but I I thought for sure we'd be a little better than one percent. I've been now that I've been home. I've been listening to ESPN New York every day, and on the Michael K show with him, Don Lagreca, and another Maryland Terp, Peter Rosenberg, uh, they have a, a trivia segment every day, and I've been watching it with my girlfriend or listening to it with her. And I always get it right. And this week, they, Michael K was not on the show, so they were doing caller versus Don. And I tried to call in to, to be the caller. I didn't get it. Um, but every day, I get almost all the questions right. So I, I'm trying to, like, take notes on what they're doing to try to, like, find questions for, for us that are hard enough where it shows that we know what we're talking about, but also not, like, too challenging. You know what it is? Is it's because when the spotlight is on you and you got a timer on you, then that's when the pressure hits. You know when you you watch a game show, like we and you're like, how could somebody get that role? Like, but when you're, that's what I was. You don't understand until you're on there and you got the camera on you and you got the pressure on you, and then all of a sudden you lose. That's what happens. On a a given night, I usually go anywhere between twenty-five of sixty and thirty-five of sixty on Jeopardy. So roughly 50% somewhere in there every night. I know for a fact that if I ever had to go on the show, I would do horribly because in the moment, right. with the buzzer, the spotlight, right. Right. I'd mess it up. Exactly. Well, hopefully, much like what we talked about at the beginning with 2020, we can put our trivia record yes. in the yes. first half. There we go. Leave that. <laughs> and Leave second that. half, we can make a nice little comeback. Exactly. Um, and, and just pulling back the curtain a little bit, next week I am moving back to my job and we'll be on the road the whole week. So next week when you tune in, it's not going to be our usual format. It's not going to be kind of talking current things and guests kind of in the middle to be the pivot point of the episode. We're going to start right at the top with our guest. And it's going to be our NBA NHL prediction episode, which we will hope is evergreen for the following week uh, because I will be on I-95 and (laughs) trying not to expose myself to other people at gas stations and restaurants because I don't want to get sick. Uh, So we're going to be in the car as much as possible and getting down to, to move back in. So next week will be our NBA and NHL prediction episode. Well, good luck to you moving in. Thank you. And uh, stay safe as you move in out there to Florida. And we'll have um, a different backdrop here as well because I won't, yeah. be, won't be in that base. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that'll be true. So thanks again to Song, uh, you know, for having him. South Korea, awesome insight, awesome conversation. And we'll see you next week.